it's okay to have PTSD, even when it comes to success. You know, it's like PTSD for a military guy uh, is, is real because it, it, it happened, uh, you know, and there was, there was probably violence involved. There was things that, that they saw that people didn't want to see. And it just does a number to people's human psyche. Well, we often say, well, I didn't have to experience that. So I certainly am not traumatized by anything that took place. And we minimize how we feel about something. But if it was traumatic to you, then it was traumatic, bottom line. And you've got to do some work around it, no matter how deep somebody else thinks it was for you. Like you are the one that decides how much it hurt and how much you need, to, what work you need to do around that thing. listening to the Born Primitive Podcast. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Born Primitive Podcast. I got my co-host, Big Tone. Good morning, Tone. Good morning, Bear. And we got our co-founder with us, a guest appearance. We got Mallory Riley with us this morning as well. Morning, Mal. Good morning, everyone. All right. So uh, today's guest, uh, you know, we're really stoked on. Um, there's kind of a personal connection here, but we have a former big leaguer with us here today, uh, 13 seasons in the MLB, uh, won two consecutive World Series with two different teams, the, the Royals and the Cubbies. Uh, and with the Cubbies in 2016 in that World Series, he was the World Series MVP. So an absolute stud on the diamond. Um, and, um, you know, Mal and I grew up huge Cubbies fans. So that was a huge moment. Uh, this man had the, the game winning hit down the left field line to put the Cubs up in extra innings, uh, a moment I will never forget. Um, and I know Mal won't cause Mal was crying. Um, and, uh, but, but, but another cool component, uh, beyond, you know, what he did on the baseball diamond, uh, after, um, you know, getting out of the league, uh, th this individual, uh, championed a, uh, 501c3 called champion forward, which we'll get into more of, but, uh, focuses on mental health for athletes and sports. Uh, also, you know, father of three and a, and a man of strong faith. Uh, but without further ado, Ben Zobrist, welcome to the Born Printed Podcast. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much. Super excited to get to have this conversation. And you guys, I mean, I'm looking at you on the screen. You have one of the coolest podcast studios. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's virtual or what, but no, like, I, I look like I'm at Wrigley Field right now, but I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't give you a booth spot up there just to, to do a quick record up there. I think they probably would have <laughs> let me use it if I was there, but it might, the weather might not look as nice as it does in my background right now. <laughs> So, so really glad to be here with you guys. Yeah. And there's a lot that we want to get into, Ben, but I want to just get right into to something I think Mal and I are, are excited to talk about. But I want to share with you my game seven Cubbies story, because I think it's it's kind of funny and unique. Um, but for those that weren't Cubbies fans, 2016 Cubbies won the World Series. We hadn't won since it was 19, 1908. 1908. Um, you know, it was it was a tough run for Cubbies fans. So for a lot of us, that was a, a, an incredible moment. Went to Game Seven in Cleveland. Um, you know, you're at the the opponent's place. You know, you're 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 curious how it's going to go. Cubbies were up um, six to three, bottom eight. Um, you know, and then that two run bomb down the line tied it at six, and then Cubbies ended up winning in extra innings. Ben got the uh, game winning double down the left field line um, in extras, totally crazy. And then the Cubs closed it out, closed it out in bottom ten. Um, so absolute wild game seven, just, it was absolute insanity. But for me, Ben, I was in training, um, military training down in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, and we had a training mission that night. So when I heard it was okay. going to game seven, 
I was like, damn, like, are you kidding me? I'm going to miss game seven Cubs World Series. <laughs> and um, what I so we had F-18s that were part of our training mission that night. And in the mission brief, I, I was, you know, talking with these guys, just small talk. And I realized one of the F-18 pilots was a big Cubbies fan. And I was like, hey, man, I don't know how your all's <laughs> jets work, but do you get like AM radio up there? Like, you know, is that like, what are you, <laughs> what are you working with? I mean, it's a $200 million asset. I'm thinking they can get, you, you know, have some. they can get the Cubbies AM radio somehow, right? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I got you. And I said, all right, so, you know, you have a, you have, I had two radios and you have like eight or 10 channels, right? And I told him, all right, at the top and bottom of every hour, I'm going to switch to the alternate channel that those guys use and I need a scoring update. Um, and the guy was like, got you. So at the top and bottom of every hour, I would switch to fires Two channel and he would give me the scoring update and I'd go right back to the main channel and like keep doing my thing. And, um, it had gotten to the point where, you know, where I was getting great updates, like, oh, you know, lead off home run, you know, he told me about, and this, and I'm getting the play by play, the Rossi home run, all these things. Right. And, and as we did our like final part of this mission, the cubbies were, well, you guys were up six, three. And I'm like, all right, this is, yeah. you know, I think it was in top six, six, three. I'm like, we're looking solid. And we got back in the Humvees and the turret gunner must've got another update. And he looked down at me, he said, Hey, six, six bottom eight. And I was like, my stomach just dropped. And I was like, it's happening again as Cubbies fans. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like the, the, the Bartman it curse, it's happening. Like we're seeing it in real time and I'm back in the back of a Humvee, not able to see it. Um, and then obviously it went to extras. And by that time we had all gotten back. We were all in the parking lot. And we had the, the radio on and all the Humvees circled up and every guy, we had like 60 dudes had, had the game on and we were all listening. And then you hit that double down the line and everyone went nuts. Um, and, you know, it, you know, it was late at night and it was cold and it was it was just a really cool experience. So I didn't actually get to watch it, but I was getting updates from a $200 million government asset uh, <laughs> off the books, of course. Um, and that's how I experienced my World Series. And then, of course, I called Mal and you were just crying. <laughs> And, you know, just just there, you watch it at home. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The whole, I mean, the World Series game was obviously epic, but the entire series, it was all the games were like extra, not all of them, but extra innings, late games, staying up late. And uh, yeah, just an awesome experience. And yeah, I definitely probably cried for like 20 minutes <laughs> out of sheer happiness, of course. We just oh pulled, my gosh. And we just pulled up highlights on the computer right before we started. And Mal got emotional even watching the YouTube highlights of game seven. So um, so I guess I wanted to start with that. But, you know, there's a whole lot to cover. But walk me through that game seven. And particularly, you got up top 10. I think it was a runner on, was there a guy on second? I know you hit a double down the line. It was um, you had a guy in second, yes. right? Yeah, there was there was men on first and second. Okay. And what happened in that inning was, you know, we had a leadoff single by a guy that was like had a half a leg. Kyle Schwarber, he like oh, yeah. coming back from an ACL, um, hadn't had a bat basically for a long period of time. You know, and comes in in that game and comes through with a huge hit um, in the extra innings, and then Albert Almora has a big base running play. He pinch runs for him and. There's a long fly ball by Chris Bryant to center field. Albert tags from first base, gets the second base. So that sets it up. One out, man on second. Anthony Rizzo, our best player, is coming to the plate. I'm I'm at that point going to the on-deck circle. Um, and I knew what, the, what they were going to do because Rizzo's our best hitter. It's like you don't pitch to the best hitter on the team, you know, uh, when you're, you can set up a double play and there's one out in the extra innings, you know, regardless of who's on deck, but still 
you know, I would always choose to to pitch to a Ben Zobrist over an Anthony Rizzo because, <laughs> you know, he's just an incredible player, you know? And uh, so I come up there and I know what's at stake. And, and, you know, there's been, I mean, I, I, I think one of the things as an athlete that you think about in a situation like that is, is, okay. I knew it was a huge, huge moment. Uh, I knew that it was probably the biggest moment of my career, but at the same time, I knew like I had no chance against the guy throwing a 98 mile an hour cutter. That's funky. I had no chance when I've, I'm already over three or four off of him in my career. I hadn't done anything, hit, hit a ball solid, even though I know what pitch is coming. It's hard. Like when you don't know what pitch is coming, it's hard enough. But if you know what pitch is coming and you still can't hit it, it's like super frustrating, right? And that's what his cutter was like. Uh, Brian Shaw was the guy's name. And so I literally was going up there like the only thing I'm focusing on right now is doing the best that I can to give myself the best chance to just put a ball solid in play on the other side of the field. I just wanted to be on the opposite side of the field because his cutter is so hard and it comes in so hard. And and so that's what I focused on. I got enough of a, of a pitch. I just, and this was with two strikes. I'm like surviving up there, right? And and I just, I just get the barrel to the ball. And and when I hit it off the bat, I knew I kind of hit it solid, but it was a ground ball. And I'm like, that's a, that's a double play if it's not through the infield. And what somebody told me is the pitch before that, the third baseman had decided to take two steps to his left. And I had to hit the ball to his right. Yeah. And so the pitch before that, if I had done that, he'd have backhanded it, double play out of the inning, right? And what happened is he moves over, and I I slap the ball down the line. He dives, and it just goes outside of his reach at third base, right? And 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 when I hit it, I knew I hit it solid, but when I saw it go past him at third base, I still get chills talking about it because I was like, what is happening right now? What is my life? That I am like hitting a, a, a an extra inning hit in Game Seven of the World Series, and I didn't remember anything until I got to second base, and I'm doing the fist pump, like, <laughs> like it was just it was surreal. And then I look over at Rizzo, and he's doing the whole like, oh my god, you know, thing. And it was just a it was a surreal moment, and I'm, I I feel chills. But I also had chills when you were telling me your story, right? About like, I'm like envisioning all these people that are in the stands that are going nuts, watching it in person and going crazy. And then there's a cut to some, to some guy that's, that's sitting at his father's grave, you know, listening to the game on the radio. And then there's a cut to you guys finishing, you know, uh, the night's like mission thing that you're working on in your uniforms and all this, all your gear and you're sitting around just listening. And then you guys go crazy. You know, it's like, I get the I get the joy of getting to hear how all these moments impacted different people in different ways. And in, in in it's just a really magical feeling to to know that you were a part of that. Oh, so cool, man. And so was it the cutter? Is that what that's what he gave you? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. That's that's what he throws, you know, especially to lefties. It was just a 98 mile an hour nasty cutter. And it's really funky, really funky delivery. It was hard to pick up. Jeez. I would argue there's no better feeling. <clears throat> and Ben, I think you played a lot of sports growing up too, and as did me and my brothers, but we always talk about there is no better feeling than, of course, it would have been nicer if it was a home run, but regardless, that moment, you can't even put into context how big of a moment that is. 
that feeling when you realize, and in your case, it was when you realized it got past the infielder, but just that moment of contact in baseball is such a pure moment because there's so much focus going into that. And especially as you get to higher levels and you're facing 96, 98, like that moment when you're able to make solid contact, because it's like, there, like I said, there's so much focus required to do that, that it's, it's a magical moment. And I would say the home run is like the pinnacle of that. When you hit a home run in that moment off the bat, when you realize the contact you just made, you, it's hard to even put that moment into words, uh, even comparing it to other big moments in sports, whether that's scoring a touchdown or, or a, a big shot in basketball. It's, it's a very magical moment. Yeah, it's, I guess it's got to be akin somewhat to like, you know, like a, a really good golfer when they like strike the ball really well and they know it, like they don't even have to look at where the ball went, you know, like they just, they hit it perfectly off the club or something like that. Um, it's just that it's that feeling of doing something physically, but you know, you, you did it before you, you don't even have to see the result. Yep. Like you have that muscle memory where it just, boom, it happened, you know, it happened immediately for you. And, and I, I, you know, obviously you played, so, you know, like there's sometimes you hit it great and it doesn't matter. Like you, you, you did your job, but like somebody's right there to catch it and, you know, or it's a line drive. It's not quite a home run or something like that, where where it doesn't really do the job. But, you know, I think that's where there's a part of this whole equation where you realize so much of it is out of your control, you know, like, like you do what you can do. And that's the, that's the best you can do in the scenario. But at the end of the day, if the people, you know, if they're, if, if the other side of it, if it wasn't meant to be, it's not going to happen. So there was a part of me that, that was also going like, I am inside of this thing happening to me. And I couldn't even, I was like, I can't believe like I, I'm involved in this, you know, I mean, I know I worked really hard, but there, you can't force yourself to get into a situation like that and to come through. Like, it's just, those moments are, are serendipitous in a way because you can't, you can't make them happen. They just, they just happen in the moment. You know, in walking us through like the, the mental state you were in, particularly like, you know, you're on deck and you know, they're going to walk Rizzo. Right. And so you immediately yeah. know, like, I'm the guy this, it's going to, you know, obviously I think there was one out. So it's not like if you struck out or something, it's not the end of the, the inning, but um, as you got up to the plate, what was your mental approach? And something cool, you know, we've interviewed a couple of UFC fighters and a cool thing that, that we've extracted from that. And I think it's really cool how honest they are is that you kind of learn that there is some fear in sports, particularly combat sports, but like, and it's okay to have fear. And a lot of people think, oh, like these badass fighters, like they're never afraid and they get in the ring and they're being all cocky when they're actually terrified because they're about to fight another man in a cage. Um, so when you got up to the plate, was there any doubt, um, self-doubt? You know, how did you battle that? I'm sure, and you know, we all kind of have that, particularly in baseball, it's such a precise sport. You know what I mean? If you're one out of three, you're, you're Hall of Famer. So um, I guess when you got into the box, what, what, what were the thoughts racing through your mind? How did you deal with that and just focus in on your training to, to execute what you had to do? Yeah, that's a great question. We, well, one of the things we talk about, you know, in, in the organization that I'm working with right now is, is how all emotions are neutral. They're, they're not good or bad. And, you know, fear can be, uh, an intense, uh, emotion that kind of, you know, takes you into fight or flight and all these things um, that are not healthy for you necessarily in the moment. But, um, you know, to be able to execute something like that, I think, you know, what I, what I talk about to the guys that I, I've started coaching on the mental skills side of things is, first of all, you got to know yourself. 
right? You got to know what's actually going on. And I think one of the most dangerous things about fear is when you actually avoid it and you pretend like it's not there. Uh, because I think you have to face up and know that you're, you're entering into a situation where there's a lot of risk and you got to accept that going in and know that that's, I don't care. I want this regardless. I'm going to step into this and I'm going for it despite the risk and the fear that's involved. And you got to know yourself and know what you're feeling in regards to that. But then, you know, you know, this, you got to know your opponent. If you don't know the, the opponent that you're facing, uh, and part of the opponent for me was before I ever stepped in the box, it was the opponent of myself, the ego side of me. That's like, yeah, I want to come through for the team. I want to be, I want to be the guy that does the job and, and where your ego can take you in that moment is to try to do too much, to try to be the hero, to try to like hit the home run and like, I'm going to crush this. And it's like, I couldn't think about any of that. So that was my first battle is overcoming that like side of me and I was going, no, 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 Ben. Like, you can't think that way. That's not going to work for you. Especially not against this guy. You got to know your opponent. He's tough on you. You haven't done anything against him in the past. And you have got to come up with a different strategy that's going to help you give yourself the best chance. And it still may not work out, you know? So I'm like walking in there like kind of open-handed, like, I, I, I don't have the best idea. I don't know exactly what I need to be doing, but here's my plan. So like I'm just, I'm, I'm taking myself out of the ego and I'm fighting the fear of like failing and just focusing on what, what do I need to focus on? Right. So know, know myself, know my opponent, got to be able to make the adjustment. And that was a mental adjustment before I ever got up to the plate. It's like, I know I'm going to take the first pitch. I know I'm going to stay on the other side of the field. You know, I know despite what, what could happen, I'm going to just be dedicated to making this happen from my control side, right? And, and then at the end of the day, you got to be able to do it all quickly. You got to be able to process all that stuff really quickly to where, you know, I I, I hear the fans. I, I know what's going on, but as soon as I step in the box, all of it goes away. You know, there is, there is nothing else but just my strategy against this opponent, knowing what I I'm capable of. That's all that matters in that moment. And I don't, I'm not thinking about, I wasn't thinking about anything about the curse or any of that. It's just, there's that baseball and what that baseball is going to do. You know, I think, I, I think fear a little bit for at least my mind or um, how I um, attack things. And I'm sure you guys are quite the same because we all have very similar personalities in this room is it almost makes you a little bit more determined. Um, you know, you go up, I had a similar, obviously nowhere close to world series, but, um, my high school softball team was never one that was that, uh, great, but we made it to regionals my senior year. And, uh, I had, I was over two, two strikeouts. This team was like our mortal enemies and, uh, went to, went to the plate late in the game and ended up hitting a triple off the wall. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, I, I think it was the game. It was not like the end of the game. Like it was the bottom of the nine you had to score, but it was the game winning hit and of course you're terrified walking up to the plate. Of course you're doubting everything. I've already got two strikeouts. There's no way that I'm going to, you know, hit the ball. But from how I think of things, it almost like pisses me off or like, I'm afraid, but I know I can do X, Y, and Z to make this happen. And I'm going to use that fear and like, tell myself like, I'm afraid, but don't let yourself give up. Like, you know, it almost, it, for me, it almost like gives you a little bit more push and determination to get that hit and to get extra angry when you grab that bat and whack the 
crap out of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is, you know, spot on as well. I mean, and I haven't really thought about softball for a really long time. I've, I played when I was four up until 22. Um, but this is bringing back a lot of memories of just the challenges you face out on the, on the field and at the plate. And I pitched as well. So on the mound. Well, yeah. And the, so, yeah, with, with young kids, we have to talk to them a lot about courage right because what what anger does give you some of is courage like oh instead of the fear like making me just shy away and like i'm gonna step back because i'm too scared to to step forward one of the things that fear calls you to is i gotta have enough courage to step into that fear right and so you're like i ain't stepping out i'm not quitting because i'm feeling this like and in order for me to get through it i gotta you know i gotta crash into that fear a little bit you know and i think I think that's one of the things that a lot of young athletes have to, if they're going to overcome some of their fears, there is a level of anger and 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 we talk about anger. The healthy anger is passion. There's a, there's enough passion in you to say, I don't care how scared I am. I'm going to push and go for this anyways. And if I fail, so be it. You know, I think that that's, that's a really important piece of a young athlete's development. When it's like training it, you realize fear is a bit of a facade in the sense that like there is a use in fear and especially from a biological standpoint as humans we have fear for a reason but as you said when you're if you if you try to shy away from the fear you're actually making it almost unconscious at that point and it will continue to grow whereas what you're saying is like hey bring it into your consciousness like be very aware of it because at least in my experience you start to see that it melts away and especially over time as you get better at it you realize like, oh, this is a biological response happening right now. But the more aware I am of it, you realize like, oh, it's more of a mind state and it actually folds away when you have the courage to kind of step into it. So it's weird because it kind of goes against our, our biological like naturalness to like, hey, use this fear as a response to get the hell out of here. But as you get better and as like a muscle in the gym, as you train it over and over, I think you get better and better, as you just said, stepping into it as, a, as opposed to turning your back to it and think it's going to run away. I'm curious about, I agree with that. I'm curious about your guys' view of that, the adrenaline that comes with fear, because I read a book that really changed my mind about that. Um, it's called uh, Overachievement by Dr. John Elliott. Um, it was one of the most mental mental skills books that that really challenged me. Um, and I, I, I think it's great for young athletes because one of the things it taught to me was how to look at what my body was doing in that moment, like the, the, the nervousness, the shakiness, the, like the feeling in the pit of my stomach, you know, like basically that's your body preparing to do its best. It's the, it's adrenaline welling up in you. Yes. You care. Yes. It matters. You don't want to fail all those things, but it's actually giving you more energy to take what you've trained yourself to do and actually like do better than you could do if you had no adrenaline. You know, and so adrenaline, like we think of it like, oh, no, this is this is anxiety. It's cortisol. It's all these things that the stress hormones that like, yeah, it's stressful, but it's also your body welling up to like have more strength than you had in a normal moment or or, or more more ability to perform. So if you can harness that adrenaline and focus it into the one or two things that you need to be focusing on in that moment. It, would you agree with that, Bear? I mean, I know you guys as military guys ha have those same feelings when you're when you're about to go on a mission and you have duties and you got things you got to make happen. Yeah, I think there's a 
there's an optimal, I think, middle ground, right? That, that I think that optimizes human performance. I think like we talked about, if you discard it, you're not using it because it can enhance your performance. But I think there's times where people get crippled by fear and then they just, they just can't perform in any capacity. So I think it's finding that middle ground. And I think the biggest thing that can mitigate getting to that, the wrong end of that spectrum where you're, you know, kind of incapacitated and can't perform is whatever craft it is you're trying to hone in on is making as many components of that become part of your subconscious action, right? So with, you know, with hitting, it's like you've taken a million soft tosses, T, you know, batting practice, that swing for you was part of your subconscious. So when he threw you that cutter, you weren't thinking about it, you just acted, you know, for a lot of stuff I was doing in the military, by making more of the things you learn part of your subconscious, it frees up your bandwidth to assess the situation um, and actually use your brain to assess something that you haven't trained or is a more of dynamic situation. So I think as you get more comfortable in whatever it is you're trying to be elite in, as the more of those things get, get stashed away into the subconscious, the more you can really perform at a high level. And, and I think you're spot on. I think that fear does absolutely enhance performance if it can be balanced kind of right in the middle of that spectrum but if it gets too far you see people just crumble and um that's why i think you see people choke in sports where it's like you know what i mean they be, they get that reputation of like all right when when the game is on the line or this and that this person always i think that those people i think have had a difficulty dealing with that emotion um but uh that's just my take on it I think that's amazing. I mean, I, I love what you said there about like how it frees up. Like you have to train. It's that it's that muscle memory. It's all the things that you, they talk about early on in sports. Like if you don't train all the other components that need to be in place, you can't when it becomes dynamic, you can't make adjustments or quickly change in the moment because your brain doesn't have the ability to do all those things in split second, right? It's going to need more time. And if you have to act in a split second manner to be clutch and to make a, the, the right move and, and, and use your adrenaline for your benefit as opposed to a detriment, it will, it will cause you to slow up your reactions, right? You won't be able to make the adjustment as quickly as you need to, you know, and that's what, you know, people talk about clutch, clutch performance. Um, and we, we as an organization with Champion Forward have, have come up with our own formula for that, you know, and it involves the ability to be aware and be balanced and, and to be connected in a healthy way. But then there's, there's always that versatility. If you can't, if you don't have enough of the training of those other areas to get to the moment of where you need to be versatile and adjust, then you won't be ready. It just, you have to train the other things that are fundamentals of mental uh, stability, kind of like as an athlete, if I'm not fundamentally strong enough to stay balanced in my stance, we're talking about hitting or in my stance as a field or whatever, if I haven't done all the training of my lower body and my movements to be stable, then I can't do the right things with my hands and the barrel of the bat. All that stuff is, is up above the chain, right? All the things at the bottom of the chain have to work, be working together to get me ready to, to make those slight adjustments with my hands and the barrel of the bat in order to go into the ball that's changing all the time for me, right? So it's, it's, it's really a clear picture of, of there is a level of growing that you have to do and, and uh, ten, whatever, 10,000 hours or the amount of like deep practice that has to be happening in your body and mind in order to get to a place where you can make a dynamic change in a split second when it when it's really called upon.
Yeah, the more you step into that, your capacity expands. And then it's exactly like you're you don't get overwhelmed by the moment because you've built that capacity to handle stress. And if you haven't stepped into that, as we as you two both said, it's like you will you will fold when those when those external stressors, especially in an exponential moment like the World Series, if you haven't put in that time, it is going to it's it's going to bury you into the ground if you haven't built that capacity uh, and bandwidth to handle a, a moment like that, which has Although on the surface seems like, oh, there's a four or five variables, your your stance, the pitcher. It's like if you would really sit and list them out, there's thousands of things happening all in one moment. Yeah. Since all now all three of you guys were involved in younger athletics, right? Yeah. Like Bear before you were in military. So like how how do you think how capable do you think people under the age of 18 are when we know now that the brain isn't fully developed really? I mean, for girls, they're a little bit more capable because their brains get developed faster than the boys. But what we do know is the brain doesn't fully have capacity for a male until they're like 25 years old, right? If that's the case, how how capable are they of building some of that stuff uh, early on? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one, and it sounds like that maybe part of the mission of your organization, Ben, is is it? I don't, I've never heard of someone actually approaching and, and going right at that problem. Um, so curious, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, um, well, I think there, like Ben, how I, is like there's the value of good mentorship or coaches is because it should be, in my experience, it should be somebody that has traveled those paths before. That say you're 16, and and this was, I mean, this was me. You're at a high level travel tournament. And they start to recognize, oh, there's something going on right now in in the way they're approaching the game mentally that is either maybe they're too hard on themselves or they're too in their head. And somebody that has traveled that path can pull you aside and say, hey, like I, I, I see where you're at and they can see you for where you're at. But then they could also see like a future version of you that would be able to handle the situation different. And of course, they shouldn't be delusional and thinking, oh, I can get you there right now, but they should be able to help you close that gap from a development standpoint. And that's what it sounds like that's what your organization does of like, hey, here's some tools that I used as I got to the higher levels to be able to handle a situation that you're at. And that that to me is the that's the magic of a really good coach, um, in my experience, is the ones that can help you close that gap on your current version of yourself versus a future version of yourself that that is able to handle things in a more dynamic responsive way yeah and i think the challenge too is is the different sports i think the mental challenges were so different so you know for me ben i was baseball but football and i ended up playing football in college and i was always the kind like if i you know missed a play in football i would get mad and that would enhance my performance because then if it's like all right i was a linebacker so if i'm taking on the fullback the next play and i'm pissed like I'm going to blow this guy up. Right. And that would help. Right. In baseball, you know, you get rung up on the outside corner and you didn't like the call on a full count with a guy in scoring position and you carry that back into the field at first base. And then at your next at bat, you, you can't get mad because you, then you're going to pull your head. You're going to, you know, you're going to strike out again because you're mad and you want to smash the ball. So it's, I think yeah. the different sports present different challenges sure. mentally. And I thought baseball was mentally much more challenging for me because I couldn't just get mad, right? I had to, I had a, you, you know, as you guys know, it has to be short-term memory and you can't go back out to the field thinking about that backwards K that you just, you know, that you thought was three inches out, off, you know, off the corner. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas football, it's like, all right, very next play, line it up and let's freaking go. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, yeah. And, you know, you can't get that mad. I mean, if it's play action, you bite up on the run and they, you know, drop one behind you. You know, that's a case where being mad won't help in football. But for the most part, you can get away with a little bit of, 
you know, getting a little bit fired up. Um, so I think part of it is sport specific and baseball, golf, some of these, I would argue more precise sports, um, man, the, the mind has to be really dialed in because there's a lot of dangers in, in particularly with baseball. It's like, um, you know, you could be Oh, for three going into your fourth at bat and maybe you get the game winning hit and you end up one for four with three RBIs. That's a really good day at the office. Right. But up to that, maybe you had three K's and that was a horrible day. Right. So it's like, it's, it's such a, it was so, I, I don't know. It was just so such a, such a mind game. Uh, or maybe you start out one for one and you think you're gonna have a great day and then you get three K's and that last K was to end the game. And now you're going back to the bus. Like I just blew it. I had a horrible day. Right. So it, for me, that was yeah. the hardest part with baseball was dealing with that. And of course you guys were at a much more higher level than me, but, um, I, you know, baseball was my whole life. So I, I got to up to 18 and got to, you know, ride those roller coasters. So I think part of it is sports specific. And I don't know if there's a one size fits all approach for all youth sports. Um, it might need to be catered a little bit depending on what they're doing, but I think the general principles probably still do apply across all of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, the more technical, the movements, the less emotion usually helps to do the movement. Because if you're if you just need force, yeah, you do need to get emotional to a certain degree because the emotions are going to help you. The anger is going to help you create more force. Um, but when it's technical and the force needs to be applied in a very very technical way uh, through a bat or some sort of motion with your hands, like. I mean, that, that's dexterity, and you've got to have very, very fine-tuned dexterity to be able to make slight adjustments like that. Emotions don't usually help. So it, it really, you know, talking about emotions from a coach's standpoint, from a caretaker standpoint, or from a competitor standpoint, okay, let's talk about those three because those are the three that Champion Forward works with. Like the competitors, especially if they're youth competitors, you know, there's some keys and tips we can give them to start – building the mental skills to be a, a, a great performer. But like what we're focused on is how do you, how do we help you thrive in the midst of all the performance pressure? Because sports naturally are putting you on a stage, whether there's just your parents watching or whether it's a stadium of 50,000 people or millions of people watching in the world series, there's a level of performance pressure. When you step to the plate and that you're up against that guy, if you strike out, you feel a level of embarrassment because you were in front of everybody and you just struck out. That guy got the best of you in that moment, right? And you have to learn as an athlete, especially a baseball player in that sport, to be able to take, you know, you got knocked down, but you're going to get back up and, and take the same level of confidence the next time as you had the first time. Even though, like, going into that final at bat with the Cubs, does, does any, anybody know what I did before that? You guys have any idea what my stats were? No, I was 0 for 4. Oh, see? I was 0 go. for 4. Yeah. In the game going into that at bat. That probably helped me not try to be the hero. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you stink in the game, it helps you have a healthy level of like what your limits are and say, hey, just stay within yourself and do what you're capable of doing. Right. So, but emotionally, as a young athlete, it's hard for them to make sense of all that. They're feeling things. They're trying to perform when they strike out, they feel terrible, especially if they strike out the end of the game. They're like, I blew it for my team. There's a lot there. We can help some of those athletes, but if the parents and the coaches that they're around don't do their own work as adults, they can make the situation worse for the young athlete. 
So, so our organization really focuses on a lot of the caretakers, like, are you emotionally intelligent and are you skilled around what you're feeling and what you're going to say in the car ride home? Because they're going to need something when things don't go well from you. And one of the things they don't need is more criticism, you know, because if they're really highly sensitive to failing already because they know what they did wrong, then they're just going to hear criticism and beat themselves up more. Whereas, you know, they might need something different. You know, every kid is different in what they need, but, but the parents and the coaches have got to be emotionally intelligent in order to, like you said, Tony, bridge that gap of where they're at right now and where they want to be. So it's a teaching moment. It's like, okay, how did it go? What did you feel about that? Yep. It, you're not happy about that. Okay, great. What do you want to do about it? What do you think you need to do about it? A lot of it is more entering into the situation with curiosity instead of criticism. If we as parents and coaches and adults that should be more emotionally intelligent and more developed mentally skilled, we should be the ones asking the curious questions that help them develop and bridge the gap from where they are to where they want to be. You know, that's kind of our mission as an organization is how do we help you thrive in the midst of performance pressure? Not just if you're a 12 or 13 to 18 year old kid. How about the parents? You're feeling pressure for your kid and you want him to get that scholarship and you don't want, want him to feel terrible for blowing the game. But how do you, how are you handling that moment? Are you thriving in the midst of your own kids' performance pressure? Or are you making it harder for them to develop because you're just feeling the same things and you're not, you're not emotionally developed enough to deal with that? So that's some of the stuff that we're working with, you know, competitors and caretakers and coaches on. And it's such a good call out because it, it it's sad. And I, I helped coach some softball teams and have I did private lessons for a while after college. And it it really is sad to see how few parents in my eyes at least and in, in my experience have that true emotional regulation to where you see them fail and then like i said a true mentor it's not criticism you're not down their down their back as to why they failed of course there may be a moment for that if if when they're older or if it's necessary every once in a while but I, i'm sure ben you run into it all the time you see so many parents they're the only tool they have in their toolkit is criticism and anger and it's like Hey, 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 like you're setting up a voice inside of that kid's head who is a sponge right now at nine years old for him to only double down. And I, I went through this myself. And I think, Ben, I, I would love to ask then how you landed on these truths in it, or or just how you landed on on this emotional intelligence and if, if it was something you integrated while you were playing or if it was after and you reflected. But what I was getting with the the prior point is that you're, you're setting up a system in which the only voice they know is criticism, both internally and then externally. And there's a shelf life to that. That may be good for the short term because there is a fueling to that to your spirit. Like you will, it will, it will result in action, but it's exhausting over time. And I, and I felt that as I got to college, and all of a sudden you're um, you're in the Big Twelve, you're having to perform against Texas University. I hadn't learned that emotional regulation. So as I started to fail, as I was a big fish in a small pond in high school, hitting 500, all of a sudden you're in college. It's like. You don't know how to regulate that failure. And of course, you, you do your best, but the only tool you you knew was like self-criticism. And that that's like a snake eating its own tail. Like you, there, there's a shelf life on that. And it's it's you're, you're going to run yourself dry to a moment where you, you have a reflection of like, this isn't working anymore. You, you made some really great points there. I hope people were really paying attention to that because what it does end in is it ends in burnout. Yeah. And I did experience that. So like 
here's the thing. Here's one of the truths that I, how I came to some of the understanding of this. Uh, I have both failed in those moments and I've succeeded in those moments. Let me tell you something. Succeeding doesn't take the pressure away. It doesn't equal thriving. That's, that's the tricky thing that people don't realize because what you'll hear from people is like, Hey, go after it and go get it. And it's going to be amazing. It actually doesn't help relieve the pressure at all. What relieves the pressure is the ability to be uh, skilled enough to go, hey, this is my life on the field. This is what I'm capable of, and I'm going to go after it, and I'm going to try to be a hero for my teammates and my my team and my city and everything else that I'm involved in. And, and I'm, I'm going to be pretty hard on myself because I want to be really great at that. But also, when I step away from this, I got to know who I am as a human being when I didn't perform or I did perform out there as a hero. Because as a human being, we thrive in connection. We thrive in having a sense of balance in life. But to, to sometimes to perform at that level, you have to be out of balance. You have to be so locked into that and that and only that, that you give up your whole life in order to get that championship, you know? And what I would say what I want to tell people is that I dealt with right after the world series, a level of depression I had never experienced before. And it was, it was, I was, I was like, I, I was beating myself up more because I wasn't happy after doing all that. And then I'm like, you should be more happy than you are. You, you should be able to say yes to all these things that people are asking you to do now. And I just was criticizing myself more. So like you said, criticism might help you perform sometimes in the moment, but it has a shelf life and you will end in burnout if you don't learn to manage some of this. So after that point, I, I was a different player. Like I, I actually learned to enjoy the game more. I learned to, 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 to decompress and say no, you know, say no to things that were going to take too much of me and say yes to the things that I really wanted, you know, and the things that were really giving me life outside of the game. And, um, you know, I can say easily now that I'm a much happier, joyful, more joyful person than I was in that moment, even though I performed really well, like it didn't make me happy, you know? And, and I needed to learn some of these skills of like, of, of really growing as a human being even as I'm be trying to become a hero on the field for my team. In the huge part there, Ben, and, and I feel like you'd be able to speak on this, it's almost the sep it's the difference between operating from your ego versus operating from your like human essence. And that it doesn't mean you get rid of your ego. The ego is an important part of us being individualized as a human. But what happens is if you're operating from your human, you're less attached to the end result and more attached to just who you're becoming throughout the result. Whereas the ego identifies with the end result. And if that end result doesn't play out exactly how you would hope or your expectations, that whole house of cards comes crumbling down on top of each other. And like, that's where like that, at least in my experience, that depression can come from is you didn't get the result that your ego had identified its whole structure with. So when one of those cards gets pulled out, all of a sudden, you don't know who you are anymore. Whereas if you're operating from the human essence or spirit, it's like, there, that's unshakable. That's that's grounded in 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 truth. And regardless of the outcome, you know who you are on a deep human level, as opposed to this facade you've created about expectations and what dad and mom wanted and what coach wanted. And I think also one hundred percent. I was gonna say it's a parallel that as well off of just like general life is 
I find like you, you, you explain the scenario of like you on the field and then you off the field. And I find that a lot here at Born Primitive. I mean, Bear and I created Born Primitive 10 years ago. It's pretty much my identity. Um, okay. But now I have a little a little girl who's a year and a half. And I find myself getting better at leaving work at work and being able to focus on her and her needs when I get home. And sometimes I still fail. Sometimes I still am working at, you know, 730 when she's wanting my attention. And I have to tell myself like this can wait. But like it does take some skill and some um, uh, like working at it to be able to almost have those two different mindsets um, in, in like work or I mean, it was work for you as well, but sports and then your home life and who you are outside of that. 100%. Yeah. Tr transitioning different roles is one of the trickiest things to do as adults that we all have to have to find a way to do. Ben, you had said something earlier that I thought was gold as part of this. You said succeeding doesn't mean thriving. And like, I think that, should, that needs to go up on like a billboard or something, because that that is a theme we've honed in on here on this podcast a few times. Um, and in another point we've talked about, we did an episode uh, called Chasing Success and False Summits. And basically, we talked about how, you know, for some people, for particularly type A people that want to chase success, you, you, you identify what you think is these these peaks that you're going to go. And as soon as you get to the peak, you, you've officially made it. So maybe you want to become a division one, you know, athlete. So you do that and then you get there. Okay, well, there's and you just keep going to these peaks and you every time you get to a peak, you realize it's a false summit and there's another peak right above it. And then you realize the peak didn't actually bring you the happiness uh, that you thought, and you didn't take mo you know the time to really in, um, appreciate your achievement. Um, instead, you get to the peak and you see the next one, and you, you just throw your rucksack back on and you keep climbing rather than enjoying the moment and looking back down over the valley you just climbed up and maybe drink a mm -hmm. you know a beer or whatever. Um, and uh, that's an analogy we talked about. Um, so it it seems to me that you ex experienced an extreme false summit as the World Series MVP for a team that not, had not won a World Series in 100, year, 100 plus years with one of the biggest fan bases in baseball, extra inning, game seven. Um, like you, you literally couldn't have wrote a, like a more epic script for you to it's like, it's, it's crazy. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But even in that moment, somebody like you that we all would have held up on a pedestal and think that guy has the world, you know, or, you know, wrapped around his finger that you, you know, experienced the same thing that you, it, you hadn't made it. You still, you didn't get that. Um, so I think it's, man, it's such a, such a wild thing. Um, when you really think through it. And I think it's something we all have to be conscious of and enjoy those small victories. And, and Mal and I we're horrible at that here with born primitive. I mean, there's been some major, major business milestones that have come and gone. And I would like, you know, one of us would text it to the other person. We go, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then we immediately go into talking about some problem we're trying to solve. And it's like, wait a second, that should have warranted like a champagne bottle and like, you know what I mean? Like some cool, you know what I mean? And we didn't, and it's right in the problem. And so I don't know, walk me through, or I guess, can you, ex you know, expand on that a little bit, particularly your game seven? I mean, why do you think you, wh why do you think that happened? Um, where was the void? Uh, just <clears throat> writing. So, okay. I was riding the wave of the, the achievement the the desire to reach that summit okay so it's like when you're so focused on nothing but the summit right and you're just climbing that mountain you're climbing hard and you're like trying to lead the way and 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 you've been tasked by your organization they're paying you a lot of money to try to achieve that summit and like 
that's all that matters sometimes is what it feels like in the moment. Your whole day is surrounded around that particular thing happening. Like like I was spending time with my family. I always made I always made time priorities with my other roles. The question was were were those other roles as tied to achievement to the thing I needed to achieve at work as I needed when I was at work. You know, it's like if I can't put that down and like be okay with it not happening, that's I think where it starts to become something like uh, I, my faith journey is Christian and and it starts to become something like an idol of something I'm worshiping almost that I've got to go get this thing, you know, and you don't even realize it's captured your heart so deeply until like you have it and you're like, what am I? I don't even know what to do with this, right? And so what I didn't realize is I'm like, pursuing this thing because I've been tasked to do it. And I think that this is the, this is the thing that I'm called to do at this time in my life. And I was, but if I wasn't able to stop it, like you said, have some gratitude for the, for the achievement, but put it away, relax, get into my other roles, just, just be okay. Not being okay. Essentially. Like what I needed after all that is I needed about a week or two of nothingness, not hearing from anybody. But what I did was I went to Jimmy Fallon show. I didn't went to the Conan O'Brien show. I went to Disney World on a private jet. You know, all these people wanted, I had 5,000 requests within two days. <laughs> and so instead of shutting it all off and being okay, shutting the world off and going, this is what I need for me to be able to be gratitude, gra have gratitude and enjoy just being a simple human being. I was like, I got to be a hero now again for all these people that need me to, to, to do these things for them. And that's what people don't realize. I always pray for the guys to get the MVP now in the World Series because I'm like, man, he has no idea what he's about to be. Like his agent's going to get all this stuff. And it's crazy. Like when you have that level of opportunity at your fingertips, if you don't know yourself enough to know what to say yes and no to, it will be a like a tidal wave of of things coming at you that you're not used to, you know, and I was codependent at the time with, with saying yes to people. And I didn't want to let anybody down. And, and I had to learn to set some healthy boundaries, you know, and, and that was part of my learning to be able to stay, stop and be grat have some gratitude was I had to say no to some of these great things so that I could say yes to the best things, the most important things. And how long, Ben? So you win World Series MVP. You for two weeks sounds like you were probably flying all over the place, having appearance after appearance. And then I think you mentioned earlier that you had a kind of a depression you fell into uh, around that same time. Walk us through what that timeline went and kind of some of the skills or lack of skills that you found yourself having during that time. And then how did you eventually and how much time did it take for you to kind of work your way out of that and maybe start to perceive kind of your reality and in build the skill set to to start to navigate life again. Yeah, it's it's really uh been it was really when I look back it was the catalyst to a lot of the mental health journey I've had in the last 5 6 years. And um what gosh, I guess it's only it's 6 almost 7 now since that point, but but um the catalyst was really about that moment it's it's what led me into actually doing therapy like on a regular weekly basis for the first time one on one with a therapist where i started to learn like my struggle was 
was not, um, it's, it's okay to have PTSD, even when it comes to success, you know, it's like PTSD for a military guy, um, uh, is, is real because it, it, it happened, uh, you know, and there was, there was probably violence involved. There was things that, that they saw that people didn't want to see. And it just does a number to people's human psyche. Well, we often say, well, I didn't have to experience that. So I certainly am not traumatized by anything that took place. And we minimize how we feel about something. But if it was traumatic to you, then it was traumatic, bottom line. And you've got to do some work around it, no matter how deep somebody else thinks it was for you. Like you are the one that decides how much it hurt and how much you need, to, what work you need to do around that thing, right? And so it, this led me into my mental health journey of, doing that. But it also took about two, three months for me to like level out and kind of just like let the dust settle. And then by the time spring training came around, like I didn't get great workouts in that winter. But by the time spring training came around, like I was still feeling depressed. Um, but I I was able to have enough downtime and and less pressure to be able to go like kind of catch a little bit of a breath and go, okay, like, what is, what is my life about? You know, it, but it took me two, three months just to even ask that question. Cause I was like, ah, uh, you know, like I couldn't sleep. I was having trouble with sleep. I was having trouble. Like, like, I just felt like I was going in a spiral down. I had suicidal ideation. A lot of people think they're like, they're like, oh no, what's, you know, I, I, I just like, I thought what's happening to me, something's really wrong. But if you have a job that says you have to go tell the team if you want to take any medication for anything you do, also you have you're getting drug tested on a weekly to biweekly basis, and so like it's a very private struggle a lot of times. And if you don't have a safe place to share that, which often people don't, especially in high achieving areas, like there's not usually safe places to talk about your struggles because you're afraid that. My struggle with this is going to cost me opportunities, cost me the ability to achieve like I've been achieving, right? So there was some fear involved in that. So what I had to get to is the dust settled, I'm doing therapy, and over time, I start to set healthy boundaries. I went back into my job, but I, I, didn't, I, did, I took pressure off. I tried to do the best I could and leave any of the results. Like I just like, I got I to gotta just get healthy. Like my whole goal in 2017 was get healthy. And I, I think I had a, a fairly bad year that year, uh, uh, statistically, but um, overall, I got healthier as a human being, you know, so there was a little bit of a cost to getting healthy as a human being, like professionally, but then 18 was one of the best years of my career, statistically, you know, so it's like, but, but I also was playing the same way without the pressure. And so it's not that you can't perform without the fear and without all the, the, the that kind of stuff. It's the fact that you might need to take some time to do some emotional work, some mental health work to get you to a place where you can say yes and no, set healthy boundaries and get yourself back into a place where now you're performing at that high level, but you also know how to transition back into you know some of the roles that have less pressure. Yeah. And just the, the, the hard or not even the hardening, like the, the growth aspect that takes place in your spirit during those hard times. It's like the, things get dark and it's hard, but like 
growth isn't linear. And, and I think when you realize that you can find yourself and as those like, as like the training analogies, like, as you find yourself in those moments that may feel dark or heavy, similar to what we talked about earlier about the courage to step into fear, you learn to kind of sink into those and say like, okay, there's a lesson to be learned here, because it's always and it sounds cliche, but it's like, there is always growth that happens after that. It's like the the Carl Jung quote of like a tree's branches can't reach to heaven without its roots going to hell. Like I truly believe that that like the most wise, intelligent, grounded people I know are the ones that were willing to kind of go down in there and learn about themselves or what you consider like the dark side of themselves instead of always like pretending similar to how the fear thing. Oh, it's not there. That side of me isn't there. It's like sit with it for a while, talk to somebody about it, become open, become vulnerable because if you do that you're integrating sides of yourself that you've ignored and neglected for a long time. And the more you do that, it expands your capacity out as a human, not only for your own growth, but to relate to other people. And that's like hearing your story. It sounds like now that's your mission is like, hey, I went through this myself and was able to, to pull some magic out of this. Like, let me share that now with others who may be going through a similar situation. Because as I'm sure you found yourself, when you're in it, man, it is suffocating. And if you don't have the outlets to blow off some of that steam, as you said, with the suicidal ideation, you can end up in a spot where thinking that ending it is the best decision. And then as soon as you get on the outside of it, you're like, oh my gosh, like if I had just been had outlets to blow off that steam, this would have never felt like a pressure bomb that was about to pop. Yeah, yeah. And you speak like you you know what that feels like, right? And and it's like when when you're a, a when you've never experienced it and you're dealing with somebody in your life that is doing dealing with that. You don't know what to do to help them. So let me give some people a helpful tip, okay? When someone that you're close to or you are going through this, one of the things they need desperately is they need healthy connection with human beings that will just sit with them in it and not try to fix them. They need people close to them to literally like just be there. Don't try to change it. Let them be sitting in that place and say everything that they need to say and know that they're safe to say it because there's a reason why we get bottled up like that and why why your brain thinks that the best option out of it is suicide and it's not, you know, but but that's that's the only thing when you're in that much emotional and intense internal pain, that's the only thing your brain can come up with. I'm telling you the way out is not isolation at all. It's It's always through vulnerability transparency in a safe place. So if you're a person close to that person, you have to help create the safe space to where they feel like they can say things to you. You know, like if you're in an organization and someone says something like that to you, you have an obligation to go to a mental health professional. If someone says something like that and say, Hey, just so you know, I've got to tell a therapist that you said this to me, right? Because it's the law that we have to like share with somebody we have to help get them help if they're saying, you know, saying something that might be, you know, dangerous for themselves or for somebody else. But honestly, it's a very common experience. We need to we need to recognize how common of an experience for human beings this is. So people don't feel like saying it is taboo. I dealt with it for a for a short period of time. I dealt with it and it was scary and I didn't know that there was safe places to talk about it. Right. I didn't know that I was a normal human being for struggling with it. And, you know, that I think that's part of the, the stigma that we have to help erase, especially in high achievers and say, hey, you can be struggling with this for very short, acute terms and jump right back into your performance and still perform at a high rate. You know, it's it's 
how do we if that it should just be an indication of where you're at it's that's what that's what we should look at it at just like your if you make an error in the field it's an indication maybe you need to do a little bit more work on your fielding pregame to prep you know it should just be an indication of where we're at currently and what we might need you know it's not a definition or an identity at all well in the in the irony is and you never feel this in the moment but as i mentioned before the irony is that once you get through it, and of course, it's always a work in progress, I, I think, it's like, you realize then, oh my gosh, like what was so hard for, let's just give it a, that year period is actually now been alchemized into a superpower where you, you mm -hmm. learn through vulnerability and openness that like you had to use to get through that moment. Oh my gosh, I don't need to just shelve that. Like if I approach life with that, of course, with healthy boundaries, it makes me so much more relatable and people feel comfortable sharing to where you almost, it's its near impossible to find yourself back in that place because you have so many healthy, deep connections with people that were formed because you did that digging on yourself and opened yourself up. Because what does the e yeah. the ego often wants to constrict and say, oh, I'm, I'm this and I'm that and I, I stand like this and I act like this and I achieve like this. Well, when life smacks you in the face, you have to take a hard look at that. And that vulnerability then opens you up for connections that I actually think prevent you from ending up back there again. 100 I, I did I couldn't agree more uh it creates an opportunity for connection yep. if you're open to it if you're willing to it and it is a superpower of leadership great leaders do it without realizing they're doing it you know they they are connecting with human beings their employees the people their clients whoever they're connecting on a very human level and and there's no hierarchy in that moment it's literally just Human-to-human -human connection causes people to want to follow you. So if you want to be a great leader, work on yourself, work on being more vulnerable and more human and transparent with your employees or your team or whatever it is, because that will only make their your voice more powerful in their life. 100%. Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> the, the problem seems to be a bit more prevalent, particularly with men too, because we, you know, we, for us, I think it's an ego thing and, you don't want to be vulnerable because you've been kind of trained that you got to be this tough guy. But I think it, from my optic, it has gotten better. I think way more people are talking about it right now than they were 10 years ago. And it's big in the military community too. Similar to what you said, Ben, is like, as soon as you kind of make it known that maybe you have a mental health issue, like it, it could be perceived as a kill shot for your career because it's like, oh, that guy's broken and that guy, he's got major issues. So guys don't ever mention it and they internalize it. And that's why, you know, the suicide rate from our community is so high because it's, you know, these guys that, you know, supposed to be these macho dudes and they, they're fighting these demons, but they won't, um, you know, they won't um, talk about it. But I think it's gotten way better. And, you know, I know in our community now we check in with each other, right? Even if it's like a guy you mm -hmm. haven't talked to in five, six years, like I get texts all the time now. It's like, hey, dude, just checking in on you, how, how things going. And it's, you know, all's good. How are you doing? Hey, let's get a beer sometimes. Hope all's well. And, that, and that's just enough, man, to kind of pick you up. And like, it's not like I was in a dire need of that, but I, I'm seeing that way more. And I know what those texts are about. I know that, you know, that's a check-in. of Like, that's a mental health check-in. That's why I'm getting that text. Um, and I do the same thing as well to, because then I'm like, oh, this is actually really cool. I want to, you know, think of all the guys I haven't talked to in 10 years and sent and do the same thing. So hopefully just by us having conversations like this, and for people like you that are being vulnerable, I think that's awesome for you that you're being kind of disclosing that story of kind of being on that mountaintop, but maybe um, void of, of some of the positive things that one might associate with being, you know, the World Series MVP and all that. 
Um, so I appreciate you, you kind of, um, open it up to that because I think there's a lot of people that would really resonate with that and realize they're not alone in that journey. Uh, and it will pass. Um, and you know, you gotta, you gotta find the right people to align yourself with and feel that pain, um, and, and don't avoid it. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of that deliberate exposure, but then it will pass and you'll come out a stronger person, um, with a different perspective on it. And, and hopefully if it rears its head another time in your life, you're more prepared to take it on because you've been through it once. Um, or if you have to be that person for that, that, that friend who's going through it, you've been in their shoes, you yeah. know, exactly how you need to, um, you know, help them out through that. Uh, so, uh, really appreciate it, man. You going through that. I know, uh, we wanted to be sensitive to your time, but, but for champion Ford, you know, my last question would be, um, how can people get more information on it? You know, I kind of want to give you the floor just to, I know we've been talking a lot about it, but, but plug it and, and where can people, uh, support website, all that good stuff. Um, so people yeah. can, can get out there and, 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 uh, support yeah, you guys. The, the easiest way to, the easiest way to get connected to champion forward is, um, through the Instagram handle at champion forward. Uh, there's links to, uh, the website or to the, um, uh, to the links of some of the events that we're doing this coming year. Um, if people are interested in it. Um, I, I am really proud of the team and the people that have been working on this because they're really passionate about helping competitors, caretakers, and, and the coaches. And we're, we're getting a lot of opportunities, um, in various parts of the country. So, um, we, we, we will be traveling. And if, you know, if there's a, if you're a coach or a, that has a team or a, a, an athletic director, or even just a parent that feels like this is something that my kid needs or my team needs, please connect with us. Um, we're fielding those, um, kind of opportunities right now. And, uh, myself and my, my podcast host, because we, we have a podcast champion forward. Um, we are, uh, John Harrison's my podcast host. We're, we're, uh, I'm kind of moving around the country, doing various things in, in various places. So I'm excited to be able to meet more people this coming year. And we're actually doing an event coming up uh, this week in my hometown of Franklin, Tennessee, um, it, which will be fun. But, but we do a lot of webinars, too. So if we if we can't travel to you, we can also kind of get to your people that way and, and start to share some of the, the ways that our methods and tips and techniques that that kind of get people started in the right the right direction. Right. Because one of the things we talk about is we're not a mental health organization, but some of the things that we're going to help you with will benefit your mental health. And we want to help connect you. If you do need a practitioner, we are connected to some practitioners that we can like funnel you to some people that we think do great work, um, you know, in that particular space. But at the end of the day, we're all just trying to thrive in the midst of performance pressure, aren't we? Like it's like we all have jobs and roles and things that we're called to do on a daily basis that that involve a level of pressure. And um, we want to be thriving in that and feel like this is what I this is what I want. And I know how to deal with it, even when it gets high and a little bit hot. Sometimes, you know, I know how to how to cool down. And I know how to handle not just myself and regulate myself, but also the people closest to me that I care about the most, right, our teammates, our family members, and things like that. So um, I would love to, we're, we're, we're really excited about this coming year, 2024, being able to connect with a lot more people. We just launched in September, so we're still a baby organization, but, but we uh, have some great um, things we're offering people and, and thanks so much for letting me highlight it. And honestly, like I love born primitive stuff. I mean, you guys know this, I told you this ahead of this is like, I still, this is my born primitive hat and <laughs> I got this, you know, what was it, seven years ago or something, eight years ago when I when I met you guys, and um, 
and Trent introduced me to you guys, but like still wear my born privilege. It's some of the best stuff I have. I always tell people, they're like, what is that? I'm like, yeah, it's the softest thing ever, right? <laughs> it's yeah. born primitive. So ben, it's, I have a, it's awesome. I have a funny little story to, before we sign off. Uh, so one of the games we went to, I think we were supposed to get on the field with you, but it was during the season where you took a little break. So I ended up meeting you afterwards, but we actually sat with your parents. Um, it was Trent mm -hmm. and myself and I sat with your parents yep. and your dad told me, gave me an offer that he would be um, the board primitive underwear model <laughs> if, we, if we needed one so hey, hold him to it i yeah. know so oh well, we gosh. might be calling him up if we uh if we need That's, an underwear model well, in illinois you know it sounds like pastor tom you know, he's, <laughs> i'm sure his his church would it's that's his sense of humor for you too so. Yeah, yeah, awesome. it was pretty fun. But yeah, I just want to say big thanks for coming on. Um, I jotted down a lot of notes from what you guys spoke of. And, you know, especially with an, a one and a half year old, I was a huge, you know, competitive little kid, uh, probably to a fault at times, played three sports. And uh, my parents were very, um, not hard on me, but they pushed me to succeed. And um, even though I think it helped shape who I am today, it is a good reminder that, um, you know, they're already, in, you know, kids are already in their own head, especially if they're competitive and they're hard workers. And as a parent, if all you do is just sit there and criticize and push them to get better, you're just, you know, you're just adding on to their problems. So, you know, I have, a, I only have a, a year and a half year old, but I know she's probably going to play many sports, I hope. Um, and it just gives me some good insight as into how to parent her and how to coach her in those moments. So really appreciate your time. Um, this is awesome. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, God bless you and every other parent that's trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. Like my I like keep right telling now. my Go ahead. I keep telling my 14-year-old, I'm like, you're the first 14-year-old I've ever had. So I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing the best thing. And and that's why I think it's brilliant that you you because I when I first you know was researching the organization, I thought it was strictly the athletes, right? But you're talking about parents and coaches because you guys know you get such a variance. You know, you'll get that one coach that if you lose, he chews you all out and you know he's kicking stuff in the dugout. And then you get the coach that's kind of chill and he's like, hey, you guys gave it your best shot. Like, let's come back tomorrow and try to get a W. And you're like, right on. Or you get the parent that's like, you know, it's like, dad, I don't need you to tell me on the drive home that I need to protect the outside corner. Like, I, I should have swung at that. I know. You know what I mean? But there's some parents that are super chill and like, hey, you'll get them next time, son. And so, like, I, I you know, as you guys roll this out more, like, I again, for my own benefit, I'd love to, you know, kind of get the uh, the best practices because I don't know what kind of dad I'll be yet. I got a two and a half year old and she's not in sports yet. But I, I definitely don't want to be that dad. It's like, all right, you got to you got to keep your weight back when they throw the hook. Well, I guess she's softball. She won't see a curveball. You know what I mean? My like, favorite is throw strikes. It's like, hey, what do you think I'm trying to do? Do you think I'm trying to throw balls? <laughs> so the, the fact that you're hitting kind of the three major components of what kind of an athlete is exposed to, obviously their internal mental health, but then the coach and the parent, I think is such a brilliant thing. Um, so kudos to you. Um, and obviously if you need some new gear, hit us up. I think, uh, Mal and I can make that happen. Hey, um, if you need custom gear. Yeah, there you go. Trent, yeah. Trent, oh, Trent's your guy. Custom oh, gear right. with champion forward on it. That's oh, right. Now we're 100%. talking. Oh my God. Um, wow. We can get you mock-ups by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But, uh, well, you guys are great. You're super kind. And yeah, I'm really impressed, uh, with, with where our conversation went. You guys, you guys obviously have done a lot of work yourselves, um, both mentally and internally and stuff. So I'm, you know, I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just excited that we got to have this conversation. Appreciate it guys.
Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for your time, Ben. And that memory of Game 7 is forever burned into my brain. So thank you for offering an infinite joy of that <laughs> moment. I mean, I'll never forget it. I know Mal won't. Goosebumps moment. I, I had to hear it on an AM radio, which really kind of stinks. But in a way, because it's the home like commentator. Who would have that have been calling the game? Uh, Pat. Yeah, Pat. Oh, Pat. And, Pat um, Hughes. Yeah, yeah and Pat was, Hughes. Um, um, Ron? Ron, he had he no. passed yet? I can't remember. Coomer? No, 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 no uh, um, Santo. Santo. Oh, no, he didn't get to witness the World Series, was right? No, uh, no that, that's passed. right. He had already passed, but it you, was Coomer. Probably Coomer. That's right. Um, but the, you know, obviously, the home commentary is just so epic because they can get yeah. emotional and oh, get yeah. fired up. So in a way, you know, maybe the AM call was was cool to hear it going down the down the third base line, yeah. and you know, one run will score. It's probably way better than yeah. the on TV yeah. announcers. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little biased. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the so radio is um, definitely more exciting. Thank you for uh, you know sitting back on that that cutter and taking it to third on on two two strikes. <laughs> I, I, I am forever grateful for that, Ben. <laughs> well, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're ever in the area doing. Um, any of your seminars and you need a place to stay bear and i can definitely help you out yep awesome yeah we need to plan something over there we haven't we haven't gotten to your guys' state you guys are in uh, north carolina right virginia, virginia beach yeah oh virginia mm -hmm. oh, okay sorry yeah we need to get up there then tons we've not of, been there either yeah tons of travel leagues and i mean i'm sure that's everywhere but there's tons of sports in this area a lot of big oh, players yeah, we, too came out of virginia beach yeah. it's a hotbed oh for oh yeah totally tons of major league players have been grew up there yep mm -hmm. I, I, I uh, came up with BJ Upton was from the Virginia area over there. Yeah. The yeah, Upton Justin brothers. Verlander, the, yeah, the Upton Verlander, brothers. Yeah, yep. there, there were, there's a ton. Oh, My brother-in-law. What's actually. David Wright? I think David, David Wright from the Mets was there, David too. David Wright. Damn. Um, My brother-in-law actually got drafted out of high school for by the Cubs. He played uh, up into AAA, and then he got injured and um, ended up getting out of the league but Dang. yeah what what year was that that he was there um so he is like three or four years older than me so he probably was graduating high school in 2002 so went okay. to spring training so he's like early 2000s he was yeah. there mm -hmm. out of college or something yeah or he didn't go to college he got drafted straight out of high school oh out of high school that's yeah. right yeah. wow mm -hmm. yeah very cool well thanks awesome. a lot well, cool, Ben. Well, thank you so much, man. Don't be a stranger. If there's anything we can do to support what you're doing with your organization, please let us know. And uh, thank you for a great conversation. And we'll uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, ben. See ya. Ben.